Hello, welcome to uh, RetroRides uh, podcast. We're back, and um, this time we have um, Johnny Smith, a man of many, many cars and uh, much car-related uh, goodness. Uh, fifth Gear, Smith and Sniff. Uh, we've got uh, fully charged episodes, so we'll go into some uh, electrical car business later on. Um, but we know electrical we car business. That is that is what we do, <laughs> um, and. Uh, we know he has an enduring love of uh, all things retro, so um, we figured he was an ideal man to chat to. So, uh, welcome, welcome to uh, to our little podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm um, I'm really excited. I'm pleased Aww. to be part part of it. I, I I like the retro rides family. Always have. Aww. Yes, you have. You've been around for a while on the on the old uh, on the forum. Quite. I've been around. I've been. Yeah, I, I'm I'm an observer. You know, I'm an observer. I go, I dip in, I dip out. But I think well, that's um, all good. I tell you what, actually, in this weird, bizarre time that we're experiencing of isolation at the moment, actually, forums, forums, I reckon, are going to have a, another big boost. Yeah, we, in we've same, in the that. same way that pod, podcasts kind of plateaued off for a few years. I reckon, and podcasts have have taken off again. It's like people have f- forgotten about them and then realised they're really good. I think forums are going to do exactly the same. Uh, yeah, well, not not to uh, not to descend into retro rise too much, but yeah, we we pretty much kind of almost doubled our um, page views on the forum in the last month. So I think really, that you something. Yep. Went from go on, million... David. Blow your trumpet. Blow your own trumpet. Do it. You're allowed to sometimes. Ah, uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> you felt so uncomfortable when I when I did that. Oh. Uh, I, I people would be surprised at me not blowing my own trumpet, but um, uh, uh, yeah, it's fine. Forum's You're awesome, a modest but, gentleman. But not not my fault that the forum's awesome. Maybe sometimes. <laughs> if you build ha- them, if you build it, they will come. Yes, yes. Well, we've got a, um, uh, I've got a podcast coming up with um, Simon Coulson, Armad of the Forum, and um, we are going to talk about the history of where it, why it came about and all of that good stuff. So that's something for people to, uh, I guess they look forward to, but actually I suspect I've probably put it out before putting this one out. So if you listen to that, it was hopefully enjoyable. <laughs> you're just now, you're trying to manipulate history now. That's just oh, impossible. Uh, impossible. Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to build a time machine and make things better. Or maybe I already oh. did. You know, I'm sat. I'm sat. I'm sat doing this podcast in my spare room slash office, and um, I've got, I've got a load of stupid little car toys in front of my desk. I lo- my desk is really cluttered, which is a good thing that you can't see it. I've got. Um, a slightly unfinished Airfix VW Beetle plastic kit to my right, next to my mouse. Uh, in front of me, I've got a really, I've got a an, a Matra Rancho Corgi model. Hang on, yeah, it's a Corgi Matra Rancho made in England. And weirdly, I found it under a, <laughs> I found it under a church pew in my local church um, on um, Har- Harvest Festival at my kids' <laughs> Harvest Festival about four years ago, and I just picked it up and it was mint. And, it, and I, 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 yeah, I live in a small village, and um, and one of my mates said to me, he said that that was totally mine. He said I lost a Matarancho in church when I was about seven, and I was like, what? <laughs> it's been under there all that time. So I have this. I didn't give it back to him. I refused. Didn't well, believe. yes, legit. Um, so I've got I've got that. I've got a Hot Wheels. Um, I've got an AMC Pacer with blue tinted windows. What's that? That's a Corgi Junior, and I've got an Audi. Uh, Quattro Matchbox. Oh, look at that! Nineteen eighty-two. Oh, what a car! Just a—I don't know why. Just a pathetic reminder every time I type something on my keyboard that I work in the car industry. Well, I, actually, that that leads me onto a good good question, which is traditionally um, my first question that I wrote down about six years ago when I first started doing podcasts and the whole idea was I was going to interview people and then it was just me and Simon talking nonsense about cars and I never got to interview anybody um, <laughs> but my, my first my first question is why cars why why are, why are cars important to you enough that this is now your job as well but surely there must have been a point at which you were you were oh, where, where the light bulb went on 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I just finished filming in my garage day before yesterday with, with my first car, um, doing a little YouTube video on it. And I, I had the same kind of question in my mind of like, how did it all come about? And I think it came about... Um, it was a combination of things, I'm guessing. It was a combination of the usual influences of what you um, what you like watching on telly when you're a kid. And of course, I was a kid um, born in 79, so I was a child of the 80s. So of course, you had all of the stuff like um, uh, A-Team and Dukes of Hazard and um, Fall Guy and all the 80s extreme action stuff. And then I remember loving Herbie. I, met, I used to obsess about Herbie, loved Herbie, and I think that's why my first car was a Beetle. Uh, that in combination with Tamiya, loving the Tamiya radio control models, understanding how they worked. It was like you owning your own car before you could own a real car. So there was that when I was, you know, like, t when did I get my first Tamiya? 10. Um, I was always good at English at school. And I grew up around, uh, my dad was an engineer, uh, a structural bridge engineer. In fact, you live in Somerset. My dad moved to Somerset to help build the M5 motorway. Oh, wow. So a lot of the bridges uh, that went over the M5, my dad was involved with back oh, in the thanks. 60s. Oh, thank your dad next time I drove up the M5. Yeah, well, there you go, you see. So that's why my dad moved from Leicestershire to Somerset and then consequently met my mum and he thought he was only going to be down there for about five years, get a good promotion, then move somewhere more interesting. And he's still there. <laughs> he's still there. So um, I, I think my dad being an engineer and my brother having an engineering mind, my brother is, is now uh, trained as a precision engineer and he works with vintage cars. My brother was always more about the, the, the oily bits, understanding how cars worked. I was more about the look of them and the way they may or may not drive and the style and the colour and the adverts. And at school, I realised quite early on, I was terrible at maths and I found science quite challenging and I was good at English and art. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something to do with writing or drawing and... Yeah, I think I did work experience at secondary school on a local paper and a local graphic design department. And then um, I did work experience at college on a VW magazine called Volkswagen, which is still going. That's and, interesting. So, so that yeah. was straight from college. You went to Volkswagen. What were you doing there? Just sort of runners, running type stuff? Or I, I, it was just anything? I, it, it was a week's work experience. I managed to get my foot in the door and, and I didn't live anywhere near Croydon where they are, were based. And my mum my or my dad drove me there and I stayed in a and b on my own uh -huh. <laughs> and for a week. And But it had such a profound effect on me. It sort of made me realise, it confirmed, this is what I want to do. I want to work in magazines. And I forgot to point out that from about 1989, 1990 onwards, I used to religiously get car magazines um, if I did chores around the house. So my mum would buy me Volksworld, and that was the mag, the air-cooled Volkswagen mag that I just obsessed over and um, <laughs> made me want to work in magazines. I loved the whole part. I loved everything about magazines. The fact that you travel, the fact that you could really analyse a car, the fact there were new cars, there were old cars, there was comparisons, there were stats. I don't know. I just I said I wanted to do that or work in the advertising industry. And um, oh, I'm glad you chose chose that rather than the advertising well, industry. <laughs> well, yeah, and I and I and I just I did go to university, but only for about nine months because between college, all through college, I was just constantly nagging magazines for um, to get my foot in the door, and I managed to get a, a, a job offer of a like a staff writer, junior staff writer, when I not long after I'd started uni, and I made the decision to quit uni about ten months in to my degree, and. Um, and that was it. I packed up. My dad came down to get me from uni in his Mark II Granada 2.8 yeah. estate. And um, the thing about my dad is you realise that we lived as a family. Our cars were always two generations behind everybody else's. It was almost, I don't think it was intentional, but if you think in the, in the late 80s, we had a, a, a late 70s car. In the late 90s, we had a mid 80s car. So we were always 
quite far behind. And yeah, no, my dad yeah, was always me- my mending stuff. My dad was a my mum and dad are sort of mend and make do. And I think I picked up on that from a quite an early age. Dad was on the drive a lot, tinkering with the car, and that was not abnormal. And I, that really resonated with me. My that's why my brother it does what he does now because my brother got fully stuck in. My brother was you know, taking a clutch out when he was ten, whereas <laughs> I was a bit more like, hey, I'll I'll clean it and I'll I'll learn to drive on a piece of waste ground if that's right, Dad. So we would do that. <laughs> but yeah, I. I think that's how it happened. It was just a combination of working out what what you were passionate about, working out what you were good at doing, hopefully, and then being really bloody persistent and just trying to get your foot in the door. And I still maintain to this day, if anyone's listening, because I get asked a lot, how do you do, how do you get into an industry such as this? I think there's, that you have to be really bloody persistent. And I would suggest... Um, work well either either being able to work off your services for free for a while you know um uh, and and then some kind of um well forgotten totally forgotten the word an apprentice effectively an apprenticeship i think an apprenticeship in the industry is far better than sheer um achievements through academia because every job i've ever had in this industry no one's ever asked me what um what achievements I got at college, school, yeah, or, or university? They just looked at. They just said, "Well, show me what you've done in the last, I don't know, year. Show me your highlights of the last year or whatever." So, I would say that's. I would still say the work experience I did had such a profound effect on me, and then and then then badgering magazines to get some work published, which obviously I I ended up getting. That was it. You know, that was it, and that was. I started working on magazines in 1998, so yeah, it was a while ago now. Yeah, over 20 years. Yeah, I once uh, listened to a show about how to get into movies that used to be on Radio One back when they had uh, occasional documentaries in the middle of the evening. Oh, was that Mark? Um, slightly serious Mark Kermode. That is slightly serious Mark Kermode. And, yeah. Uh, they asked the guy how to become a producer. And the guy said, well, you just tell everybody you're a producer and now you're a movie producer because somebody <laughs> will eventually come to you and ask you for money and then you just need to go and find some money. Um, <laughs> and, and I used the same tactic to become a journalist for, for the car stuff very briefly. I just told people I could write and I would send them stuff and they would then ask me if I wanted to do a feature and I did a feature and I got paid for it. And it was persistence, like you say, just you can become this thing it's better if you can get some work experience, but you can become this thing by deciding that's what you're going to be, and then yeah, yeah, at yeah. It. And I it, think it's, it's it's probably easier now than it ever was because of the ability to um, self-publish on on the internet. So yeah, before obviously you know I grew up. I guess I, you could call me a traditional journalist because I'm from a traditional background of print, and you know uh, when I started digital digital cameras weren't invented god that makes me sound like such an old git so Not, old but i remember we <laughs> shot on transparency yeah. and then scanned the transparencies and that doesn't you know the revolution of digital came about really quick but um it's totally about work experience and persistence it's it that's exactly and, and being i suppose being confident in your own ability and yeah that, that's it's a little bit of confidence as well i think um but um i Actually, where were you working? That's what I was going to ask you. Where, where was your first actual job? My first proper journalist job was on a sm- small publishing house in Chester called uh, Jazz Publishing. And they were a niche um, publisher who did tattoo mags, modified chopper, like motorcycle, V-twin motorbike mag- mag- uh, mags, and um, an air-cooled VW mag called, at the time, Flat 4. And then it relaunched oh, yeah. as Total VW. I remember that. And oh. and I and I worked on that for three years and became editor actually. Yeah, Ooh. in the last year. And that nice. was my that that was absolutely my foot in the door of the industry. And it was, and I, re- I quickly realised that it it was it's hard work. It's not very well paid. Um, there's not a not it's there's no set nine to five kind of time. But it's never boring. Ever. It's yeah. never boring. It's never boring. Yeah, yeah no. that's for sure. And you went after that to where? 
then I realised I wanted to kind of broaden out from just um, a niche classic car mag. I wanted to do more than just old VWs. So I badgered and badgered and badgered Classic Cars magazine at the time that was like on fire, that mag, back in the late 90s. Managed to get a, a couple of pieces of work published in it and then... The um, the editor agreed to meet me, and he basically said, "Look, um, I haven't got a job for you on the mag, uh, but I'm actually leaving the mag, and um, and I'm setting up a different department within the company to do contract publishing, where we're going to do classic car related stuff. We're going to do stuff with watches. We're going to do new car launch material, and we're going to do we've got a contract with uh, British superbikes, world superbikes, and British touring cars. Are you interested?" And I'm like, yeah. He said, great. He said, great, but you need to move to London in the next fortnight. So I moved from Chester back down to London, where I'd been at university for 10 months, and um, was down there for another, whatever it was, three and a half years doing that. And I worked. I quickly realised that there was no point in me driving a car to work. I I realised that within a week. And so I started cycling again, even though I had like four cars. <laughs> so I would I would supplement my... I, I'd already started doing this in Chester, I remember. I, I, I would supplement my income by just buying and selling cars because A, I couldn't resist finding a bargain anyway. And B, I knew I could buy a car if I bought it cheaply enough with the right... with with with, with If my eye was true to me, I could make 100% profit on every car. So that's what I used to do. I used to buy, you know, 300 quid car, sell it for six, buy a 500 quid car, sell it for a grand. And I used to do that constantly on the side, constantly. And when I was and when I was in London, I realised the, the, the Pandora's box was open. I moved to London when the scrap price was so low that people were abandoning cars. And I don't know if people oh, remember that. In the, I remember this that. This would have been <laughs> about the year 2000, 2001. So 20 years ago. And there, on the street where I lived, I moved into a one-bedroom apartment, which was really expensive, but it was in a nice area. So it was a tiny apartment, but in a in a in quite a leafy area because I, I wanted to enjoy walking around and not getting murdered. So it, it helps. But it was great for car spotting. Like, there was an abandoned um, Merc S600 are, um, down my road, so the V12 S Class, and it had, had smash back window, and someone had gone through the the glove box and stuff. But it was still a complete car, and it sat there for four months. No one went near it. <laughs> I I actually claimed a couple of cars. I worked out you could write to the council and oh yeah, I remember then that. write that to the thing. DVLA, and I actually claimed a couple of cars and saved them and and did them up and and sold them. My brother had a absolute corker. My brother, who lived in um, at that time in Bournemouth, he someone dumped a, um, a, a Bedford Rascal down his road, a panel van, <laughs> and he waited for about two months and nobody did anything with it. So he contacted the council and claimed it, um, broke into it, got the documents, and then put, put a new um, barrel and, and, and applied for the documents. And in the back... Was it was full of tools? Oh my god! It was full how, of tools. How like, strange! Yeah, he said it had a whole cabinet of tools in it. That's it was a bit insane. freaky. Yeah, I, yeah, if anyone's listening and they're saying that was totally nicked, well, I, I don't know the answer to that. What I do know is it sat it sat down his road for two months before he he claimed it. But yeah, that I mean, those were weird days. Yeah, in I London. Remember, yeah, that that was uh, yeah, it was a strange time. There was somebody down my road had at the time. Uh, well, I guess is what about fifteen year old MX five just decided like not to MIT it and abandoned it and then it just got towed away. But like yeah. there's no there's no value in it. It was just just this... No scrap scrap was so yeah. low and there were classic cars littered all over the place. In fact when I was at university someone had dumped uh, I mean I think back now and it makes me slightly teary eyed. <laughs> a, Vol- a Volvo P eighteen hundred ES. Oh don't they they'd abandoned it and it was and it had about three council notices on it and I remember one time I cycled past it and went I can't leave this so I started trying to phone round all the local council departments to work out who the hell I needed to talk to to try and save this car and in the end they were like look we we just uh, we, we the car's going to be removed in the next two days and it got taken away and I bet it got blooming crushed 
and oh, could not believe sad. it. Sad in my heart, that does. So, yeah. I mean, I saved a few. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, and I and I bought some really interesting cars at that time on the, and if you remember, the yellow paper, the, the oh. ad mart. Loot. Loot. London Loot was an absolute uh, treasure trove. I bought so many cars out of London Loot. I bought everything. I bought an Australian Ford Fairlane um, V8. I bought from I, I, I bought from a film company that they'd used in an unsuccessful film with David Soul and Jack Davenport and that guy that directed the Rocket Man. What's his name? Dexter Fletcher. I bought a car off a film lot, which was a, a late seventies Cadillac that had been roller painted with magnolia. I bought it for I bought it unseen for a hundred and fifty quid. And uh, it was as terrible as I thought it might be. But um drove that around for a while. That was an 8.2-litre V8. It's the biggest That's V8. Insane. That's an insane engine to have in It was anything. the biggest... Well, yeah, and in London, it was a, just a ridiculous idea. But I didn't drive it much because I cycled to work. But I, I, <laughs> I, it was the biggest post-war non-limousine Cadillac ever made. And I bought it for right. 150 quid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was great. It was great, and I had I bought loads. I had um, uh, just before I left Chester, I bought a Mark One Granada, lovely Mark One Granada, um, three liter GL, and I swapped it straight with a guy in Wigan. I think he was in Wigan, somewhere like that, for a bubble car. Of course, you did. And this this bubble car had been in storage for years, but I managed to get him to deliver it as part of the deal and um, got it running and spent a few months buying the parts that I needed and then took it down to London when I moved and put it in a garage. I sold that car to Michael Barrymore. Of course you did. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And what was weird is he, he I, I advertised it in the London loot and he, he was the one that phoned up to answer the ad. And uh, I, re- I recognised his, his his voice. It was a bit freaky. And it, and anyway, I sold the car to him. I delivered to him. He asked me to deliver it. Um, like the week he was going to court because of the the guy dying in his swimming pool. I mean, it was just yeah, it was just weird. Strange lifestyle to live. I think uh, bubble cars actually were one of those things that just shot up in value for a little while. I don't know what they're like now, but. I remember they, they, they went from, they went from yeah. being not disposable but you know relatively cheap to being tens of thousands of pounds like almost overnight it was very strange I think it was the I think it's the fact that they're they're funny little trinkets and for car collectors who have got mm. a lot of disposable income it's something that they probably don't want to drive but they like having it parked amongst their exotica oh, yeah, yeah. I think they look funny next to a Lambo or a Ferrari or a Maserati because you go, oh, well, because everyone, you know, all those wealthy collectors have a Fiat 500 because Michael Schumacher had one and because every sexy woman in the 60s drove one. But that's almost a bit cliche now. But if you want to go a bit, you know, the BBMW I set was the one to to go for. Or I I had a Heinkel, um, I forget what it was called, a Heinkel cabin cabin cruiser or something. but yeah, that, that, that they're great. I I love bubble cars. I always have done. Like, I mean, they drive terribly. You, like, you like small cars in general. It seems you like you like tiny little cars a lot. I'm 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 sort of the book. I bookend both sides because at one point I had the bubble car and I had the Cadillac with the eight point two engine. So I like extremes because yeah. I find them fascinating. So yeah, I like very small, very big. Well, I suppose with the. With my electric Enfield eight thousand, I mean that was yeah. that's tiny, tiny. and yes. at, at the same time I I have the the Dodge Charger and the the Impala, so they're both giants, aren't they? So right. yeah, it's I. It's, there's not enough time, is there, to buy all the cars no. that you want to buy? I've, mainly, I've got not very enough money, but uh, let's face that. Um, but uh, well, yeah, no, time, me neither. For I, time, I, is, a, time is difficult. <laughs> I've had to turn a few down in the last couple of years because I've tried to be a good boy because I'm we've been saving for years to to build a house, and not not the house I'm sitting in now we're going to knock down, and then build it build it with a proper garage and everything. That's been the master plan for ages. Uh, I think COVID nineteen might be might 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 delay that somewhat. Uh, we were going to be demolishing it in about six weeks, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I there's a lot of cars. 
There's a lot of cars out there, isn't there? There, there, there are more than a couple of cars out there. Um, how did you end up on television, Mr. Smith? This is what I want to know. 2005, I was working on Max Power, and I and the, the wait the, the one ed- second, one t- hold on, hold on. We will have to return to Max Power in a minute. Oh, carry on. <laughs> Two, yeah, 2005, I was working on uh, um, for for that magazine, and the editor got a call from. S- a production company making something for Sky One, and it was called Movies Greatest Cars, and it was a massive like compendium show, like a two-hour show or like one of those list shows. Fifty, I think it was oh, yeah. fifty greatest cars, and they wanted a representative from Max Power to talk about this and that and the other, and 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 the editor didn't want to go on TV. And I just said, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, do you know about these cars? And they sent me through a list of, of the cars they were going to talk about. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And they, they said, we'll give you a couple of hundred quid and you can come down to London, sit on a stool and chat. And I was like, yeah, bollocks, I'll do that. And I did it. And the the at the end of the this sort of hour's chat, the director just said to me, he said, Johnny, you, uh, I was really struggling to keep a straight face some of the stuff you were saying was really funny you really you really did well there have you ever done this before I said no never done it before and uh (laughs) they ended up using quite a lot of me as a talking head which was I think that wasn't the plan and um after when it went out um one of the one of the producers of fifth gear which was on channel five at the time um saw it and I I had worked in the past and was friends with Tom Ford, Wookie Ford, who worked on Top Gear magazine and, and other mags and Car magazine when, where I met him. And um, he arranged for us to have a, like a lunch meeting, I suppose it was, over in Birmingham, where they're based. And I, I thought the meeting was just a meeting with lunch. And I turn up and they 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 basically walk up to me with the camera already rolling and said, right, talk about the car that you've just turned up in for 10 minutes. Go. <laughs> and uh, it was totally uh, un- unplanned. I guess that was the test. Luckily, bloody, I'm so glad I turned up in a car that I actually knew about or cared yeah. about. Look, inter- um, something it wasn't helps. just a, a Toyota Avensis hire car, but it was... It was um, it was at the time, it was a Mark V Golf GTI because they'd just come out and I was testing one. Uh, it was ah. white and I had a lot to say about it. And um, so I did that and I heard nothing for about two or three months. Yeah, two or three months after that. And um, weirdly, in that time, I got made redundant. Oh. Um, yeah. And so it, it was a strange situation where I got made redundant from Car Magazine as I was on then. And about 10 days after getting made redundant, as I was trying to work out do I go freelance? Who do I work for? Um, I got a call from 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 Fifth Gear to say we we really enjoyed your show reel that you did, and Channel Five have seen it, and they want to book you for an episode. And if you don't muck it up, you'll get another one. And oh. so it was kind of it was a proper one door closes, another door open situation. It was I was really pissed off at the fact I'd been made redundant. I was you know a bit bitter about with the world and trying to work out my plan of attack and then this happened so i'm very i was really thankful for that yeah, and that like life life giving you a little kind of proper nudge in the uh, it was a test yeah. it was it was a bit of a kidney punch because they they made me redundant when i i'd I'd clocked off for a week's holiday and they made me come <laughs> oh, no. in they made me come in on the Monday morning they said you've got to come in for an important meeting I said I'm not coming in I, I, I've got a week's holiday this has been booked for ages and the fact remains I, all I was going to do is tinker with the car at home it was like time off in lieu that I needed to take yeah. um, and um, yeah they called me in and just basically gave me an envelope saying there's no real there's no easy way to do this but I'm afraid we've got to let you go and it was me and a, two others so um yeah, I was very angry and put out about that. But that I mean, I, ever since that's happened, I've I've always tried to turn a negative into a positive because I think it's it's too easy to just be bitter about something and just stay the thing bitter. Is, 2005 would have been the start of the slow destruction of the magazine industry in the UK anyway. So you may that's or what may it not was. have been better off out of it, to be fair. I actually yeah. think, and I, I'm, maybe I, I would say this, I think it was the best thing that happened to me 
because yeah. without that, without getting made redundant, I wouldn't have quit and gone self-employed, which opens the door to lots of stuff. But um, also it might not have let me start working in the TV world. And of course now I do more TV and video or, you know, YouTube related stuff than I do writing. So the seesaw is kind of um, swiveled the other way. And um, although I started with writing, I, I actually prefer doing videos now. I'm, I'm worse yeah. at writing. I'm too rusty. But I yeah, shouldn't say that, should I? But it's true. Well, you've got to keep practicing. So people should definitely give you more stuff to write. And then you'll... you'll You've got to keep practicing. The, the reality is I think there's better writers out there. I think I'd, I'm, I'd, I'd, I'd better off yeah. doing a, I'd better off doing a podcast, frankly, Dave. Uh, well, yes. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm tall on that. I, I have... Uh, I have opinions on modern uh, car magazine writing, um, but uh, are I you going to uh, save those for another day? Or are I shall uh... probably I shall probably save those for another day, uh, <laughs> for, for, forever probably. Um, it's but, a strange uh, one. I have to say but, though, I do. I'm really glad that I've I did. I got. I started my career when I did because although I'm mm. not old, you know, I'm 41. I've been in that transition of of of, of analog kind of print media. With with analog photographs to digital pictures to then iPad editions, uh, monetized internet, which wasn't a thing when I started, and then um, and then now you you know the 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 the, the colossus of YouTube, yeah. and even the TV world's changed. You know, scheduled TV's not what it was. So now I'm doing work on you know or potentially doing film work on non-scheduled platforms. So yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. It's, interesting. It's, it's an exciting place to be. Um, I want to revisit Max Power. Um, I'm, as you're aware, actually, if one of the first conversations I had with you was about the fact that I, I'm not a fan of Max Power and all that it was. But <laughs> at, at, at the same time, it's quite a fascinating thing it's, to have happened to the world. Oh my! Seriously, I'm I'm not a Max Maxer in really. When I got the job on the mag, it was I got offered the job on the back of the other. Um, magazine work I'd done and um, I, I first got the job on Revs as a features editor and Revs if if you don't know was the sister magazine to Max Power which was slightly more hands-on and slightly less girl orientated I suppose um, and we had a great time and although the, the the cars the sort of style of cars and the taste of cars wasn't really my personal taste it was from a human interest perspective and a culture perspective, it was awesome. I'm so glad to have been part of it. And um and it's weird now, people like you want the stories. They want because Max Power was is that long ago, they they people go, You've got to tell me about the story about this or you know, what happened in there. And and I joined Max actually quite late. You know, Max had already kind of peaked, I think. Yeah, and, I think two thousand, um, two thousand and one was probably it's was probably like, peak, yeah. Yeah, the the Max Lad culture. Because th this is the thing that I have with it is that um, I think that it was a car culture that came out of Lad culture, yeah. rather than a car culture that evolved out of other car culture. Does that make sense? So like hot yeah. rodding, you can see evolving out of what the need to go faster and other car cultures, and even yeah. like the insane kind of Japanese Bozuzuku stuff is kind of an evolution of like the group five races and all that kind of thing whereas i think that max power came actually out of a kind of the laddish culture and if you weren't into that i don't think you could really get into max yeah power. well if i you think see what i mean if, if you if you look at social media it, it predates social media so for for younger listeners if you can't, um, imagine a world pre-Twitter and um, Instagram and uh, Facebook and all those things, that what Max Power did was it created a tribe. It was a tribal thing where you would mm. congregate at cruises and in car parks and, uh, uh, you know, on, uh, on events. And, it, and, and obviously there's a chance to meet people of the opposite sex and peacock around in your cars if that's what you want to do. But I suppose it was also, it was just wanting to just get out and have a really good time. So there were those of them that just went along for the crack. So not not actual crack, I don't mean like class A drugs. I mean, <laughs> went along for the good time. Um, 
and in in the in the same way i guess the way the rave culture was there were people that just went along to it because they knew whatever happened they were going to see some interesting things <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. going to be a generally fun evening and then you had the other side of of um you had the other side of um to, uh, the, the culture of people that built cars properly they didn't just slap a few bits on and nail a car around and and that was the thing with Max Power. You had the sort of periphery people that just wanted a good time, and they bought um, a cheap car. They slapped a few bits on it, you know, went big on the base and and some bad wheel wheels, and then and, and went out looking for girls. And then on the other the other side, you had people that poured twenty grand into to builds and um and did it right and it was that melting pot of those two people the thing is with max is because it max got so big it snowballed into people forget it was the best-selling car magazine in europe by a long way and it predated of course all the irreverence of 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 what top gear became i would argue and i'm pretty sure i could get rich porter to admit it i would argue that max power had an incredibly strong effect on the rebooted Top Gear of 2001. Because look at the challenges they did. Look at the dicking about they did. Max Power was doing all that five years previous. And Max Max Power did it before YouTube and before that sort of thing. I mean, Max had a really big forum, huge forum. But I think what happened with Max is it became too big. It became a cash cow for the, the publishing group and they just milked it until it was sort of cool not to be like that anymore. And the whole chav yeah. culture, um, st- the, the, the backlash against the chav culture and the connotations of all that, I think that's what the, the start of the demise of Max was a combination of that and a combination of young people being able to get brand new cars on credit that were already pre-modified to a point. The Mini 1 being the best example of that. Because you could yeah. order a Mini 1 and there's 600 options on the options list. So you could basically com- customise a Mini 1 from the factory. You didn't need to then go and order a, a Kenwood head unit. And you didn't need to then maybe get lowering springs because you could just order it with the cup suspension or the you know the Cooper uh, work suspension or whatever it might be. So, yeah, it was... I mean, what, what's I'm seeing a bit of a renaissance in it, which is quite yeah. nice in some ways. But I think that um, there's people now that are, have grown old enough and distant enough that it's history, and they're um, interested in it. And you know, there's the Mac Power reunion guys and all that kind of stuff. I yeah. think that I mean, I've got no disrespect for anyone that's building and enjoying cars. I just think that it was so tied into that kind of external, that external culture. Yeah. Um, and actually when that external culture became the thing that had started to disappear and there was a backlash against it was so tied into it that it was inevitable that it would go yeah yeah ladism, ladism had to die it couldn't carry on and, um, and and it and it took max power with it when it went basically as far as i can tell yeah it's sort it's it sort of did um max tried to diversify a little bit but it came too late and um i wasn't on it by that point but um i'm very glad to have been on on board the ship yeah. When we did, we did some quite interesting stuff, <laughs> and I was tasked with always trying to make features that the press would talk about. You know, like could we do something that was notorious that the Daily Mail would get hold of, that the BBC might talk about? And we, I mean, we did a burnout outside um, um, Parliament on the bridge. Nice. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean, what, what with? Uh, it was an S fourteen Nissan Silvia. <laughs> Japanese imported, um, yeah, S14 owned by Dan Anslow, who's one of the Max Power um, reunion guys. You know, Dan, yeah, Dan was like, Dan lived and breathed Max Power. We we did it about five in the morning on a Sunday. We 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 got all of the photographers set and we got every everybody set. I mean, think about it now, it was stupid. We could have got shot. But, um <laughs> Yeah, we did a. He did an absolutely glorious burnout on the bridge with the with 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 um, with Parliament in the background. It looked great, and it wasn't. It it looked like we'd photoshopped it. That was the frustrating thing, but we really had done it. He'd got gone out there and, and done the thing. Yeah, yeah, we did that. Wow. We took I mean, we took a radio control car on the A one um, <laughs> at, lun- at lunchtime on a Friday. Uh, 
I mean, like, it's not a great idea and I don't recommend it. But we did it. Um, <clears throat> we were driving it from the passenger seat of, oh, I was driving the Civic Type R that, and the, the guy in the passenger seat was driving the car, the little uh, radio-controlled, like, uh, nitro car, I think it was. It was doing about 55 miles an hour, something like that, in the traffic. There, yeah. there, there are no rules. Well, you know, we did some, yeah, we did some stuff that was silly, but I think that we were we were being challenged with yeah. being irreverent, and then um, yeah, and then it becomes unacceptable, I suppose, in in its extremes. But I, my personal cars, or when we were on the the revs max power journey, my personal projects were always more to my own taste, which is was more the sort of hot rod low rider type scene. Yeah. Well, so yeah, why... you got um, you got sixty four Impala, so. Tell yeah. us about that. That's uh, that's a long term project, right? The longest term, <laughs> the longest term project. That car I've had since two thousand and four. So I, yeah, I bought that car when I was on Max Power. Yeah, I did. Shit, forgot about that. And I still have never driven it or started it. Still. Oh. That's, so that's it's still it's project. still not finished. Oh, it's stupid. I mean, it's stupid. It's the most. It's the most money I've ever spent on a car. It's never moved, really. Um, don't get me wrong. It looks great. It's actually starting to look like a real car now. Um, but yeah, it's been a love-hate relationship. That car's fought me. But it's my second '64 Impala. I had a. I had a factory right and drive four door when I lived in uh, London. Um, I sold my Granada Mark One Lowrider to buy the Impala, and then, then I realised that car was more rotten than I expected. And a friend of mine had an SS which he'd imported from Oklahoma with no engine and gearbox from a salvage yard. And he, I always said to him, "Look, if you ever want to sell it, let me know." And basically, he went bankrupt and phoned me on. I remember on New Year's Day, and he wasn't a close enough mate to sort of phone me on new year's day <laughs> and he phoned me and i went all right steve you okay and he went yeah listen john are you still interested in this uh 64 impala um we talked about it and i went yeah maybe why he goes uh well i need to sell it and i need to sell it like now in the next week so i went oh uh well okay give me an hour to think about it and i did him a deal and i did a killer deal and um i had myself a basically a rolling a complete bar the transmission and the engine 64 impala super sport and um, and then embarked on this ridiculous bloody stupid journey of um turning it into a a low rider but to a really high standard i suppose and i i think that the 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 high standard part of it is probably what's constantly made made a rod for my own back but it's yeah, worth it, it, building building a low rider to a high standard because otherwise they constantly break, as far as I can tell. Um, yeah, from my low rider. Well, this, yes. Well, this was my th- this is my third low rider, and um, so I've done a lot of learning, and um, yeah, it's just a bit weird that I started building it before marriage, family, all of those responsibilities, and now by the time I finish it, I'm gonna be. And by the time I finish it, my daughter will will be at secondary school, which will be a bit might be an embarrassing dad style thing to do. But, oh, that's amazing though! <laughs> you got it right, right for that prom as well, right at the end. Nowadays, we've seen yeah. that prom, so you can you can do the low rider prom. Do you know what was really weird? Is my son the other night just before bed? He, there was a song that came on the radio, and he said, "Oh, dad, that's like one of those songs where." Like the guy, you know, the guys are all gangsters and the cars are bouncing around and stuff. And I said, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "I've got one of those cars." And he looked at me, went, "What? You got one of those cars that bounces?" I said, "Well, yeah, it's not quite bouncing yet, but I have, yeah." And I and I reminded him because he hasn't seen it for about I don't know three years or two years or something. He said, "I said, yeah, that that thing that I constantly talk about, the Chevrolet, the gold Chevrolet." Goes, "No way." And he quickly went into his sister's room and went, Daddy's got like a, a low rider. Did you know that? And she went, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Because <laughs> she, she knows more about cars than he does. She's That's really in, she, she's properly into cars. She's, an, she's a nice. car nutter. So ne- next generation, if I was to uh, ever get the chance to ask why cars to her, it'd be my dad has a ridiculous car collection, and that's why. She's you all, yeah, you. always. I mean, ever, ever, 
ever since I can remember, she's really enjoyed playing with with Hot Wheels. Really enjoyed uh, the car badge game, which we used to do when she was a toddler. We'd go for a little walk, and I'd point at a car, and I'd say, "Right, car badge game." And whatever I pointed at, she'd have to identify the, by the badge. You know, vo- <laughs> that's a Vauxhall, Daddy. That's an Audi. That's a that's a, um, a Skoda. She she was she was amazing at it from about eighteen months old. And That's amazing. yeah, right now she's um, she's still really into cars. If I if I ever go to a car show, I'll ask the kids if they want to come with me. Um, almost certainly, my daughter will. My son sort of take or leave it. But my son's wow. more into the the building. I think my son's more like my brother. He's mm. more about how you. If I'm in the garage here and I'm taking wheels off a car and trying to mend it, fettle it, he's involved. He's into it, whereas she's more about going fast. So she loves Santa Pod. If I ever go to Santa Pod, or if I ever borrow a, a hot car, you know that's quick, she will always want to come out in it. Come on, Daddy, that's let's do fun. this. She loves a bit of launch control. <laughs> Everybody yeah. loves a little bit of launch control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, so I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm I don't gonna segue. Karen, sorry. I was, all I was gonna say was I've I've always as a parent I've always tried to make sure that I don't press my passion and hobby on my kids because mm. you know it it doesn't always stick does it um, no, and they've, no. they've got it they, they can they can tread their own path but it's lovely to see that they they do appreciate certain parts of it like two years ago they were bored in the summer holidays and I dusted off my Dukes of Hazard box set DVD and the kids I thought they're just gonna hate this and I put it on. <laughs> they were both absolutely transfixed by it. They wouldn't stop talking about it for about a week. And my son, my son found a, a General Lee, an old General Lee model at diecast. I've got it up here in the office. And he's like, "Daddy, can I just keep that in my room now? Can I keep the General Lee in my room?" <laughs> so he, the, it's it's funny how some of the old stuff kind of really resonates with them. It does make me chuckle. Yeah. There's a weird thing, like people keep on going, oh, like kids now, they're not into cars and um, all of these car prices are going to crash because no one's interested in buying older cars. But I'm like, but I'm interested in cars from like pre-war. I mm. wasn't around then, you know, like it, it, the, the age of a car doesn't really matter. Just, it's just what they're evocative of for you, I think. Um, it's, to- so, it's totally right. And it also depends uh, on... What 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 you like about cars? What you're into? You mm. know, there's there's. Are you, do you want to actually? Do you want? Do you actually want to play with cars and fit, fiddle with them and modify them and, and mend them, or do you just want to drive? Because yeah. there's 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 lots of opportunity. I think there. And it, you just got to find something that engages them. My daughter, for yeah. example, just wants to. She just wants to go fast and race. She wants to go karting. She wants me to build her a buggy for the garden, and I'm trying to work out a way of adapting uh like um a golf cart at the moment like shorten the chassis of a golf cart and put like a body on it of some sort so it's electric but it's yeah Uh, that's a reader's other mods for retro rides on there just just pointing that out if anybody's oh yeah that section yeah yeah the the reader's others mod section seems to have a lot of uh stuff built for for kids yeah just general interest um people build stuff to come to the shows with and just drive around the uh, campsite on uh, like well, seriously, I, I, I need some of that. Yeah, you should get involved. Okay, uh, go and have a look. It's um, maybe a project for my YouTube channel, especially given yes. the uh, this yeah. time of isolation. I've got a couple of old lawnmowers, but ideally, I'd like to do it electric if I can. Yeah, do electric. But, yeah. So, what what is the thing with you and electric cars? Because um, that's on my <laughs> list of things to ask Johnny Smith. Um, my- as you own a Dodge uh, uh, Charger um, <laughs> and you like electric cars, it's an interesting juxtaposition it is isn't it i well i don't like to conform is the is the honest answer but uh, and people feel like if you i get a lot of people say to me oh you're into electric cars now johnny that means like you're you're one of them and i'm like what do you mean one of them it's like it's not montague's in capulets it's not like if i'm into I'm, electric I'm one of them. <laughs> well if, if if I'm into electric cars, it doesn't mean I'm going to sell my Dodge. It doesn't mean I'm going to not finish the Impala. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have, you know, the V6 Allegro. Because the whole point of this in my head is that day to day, most of the cars we drive are actually quite regular, quite boring. So whatever the tool for the everyday commute is... Well, it makes so much sense 
when you look at your own journeys that electric can fit into that and 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 work for you um it's better for the environment but it's also better for your pocket you know charging a car and um uh, the cost of ownership on a monthly basis of an ev is low lower and um and i really really love that torque delivery that addictive torque delivery the refinement of it and my kids love plugging in when you get home in the same way that you plug your phone into charge when you get home yeah. and it's it's not that hard to adjust to and i think ever since i went to japan in 2008 and drove what became the leaf at the time it was a pre-production car and it had all the leaf running gear in a nissan cube and we were allowed to oh drive it it was a that feature amazing yeah, it, it is amazing. It, I wish they bloody built it. So yes. I, I, I drove this thing around Nissan's test track in Yokohama, and they said, look, this is not the finished car, but this is this is a drivetrain that we are developing for a car. And yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a second-generation Cube with leaf running gear, and this thing was quite quick and responsive and, of course, beautiful, beautifully quiet. And it was like, I just, I guess I had a bit of a light bulb moment. I'd already had a bit of a fascination with with ev performance because while i was on max power i'd heard about the the white zombie electric datsun in in portland oh, oregon yeah, yeah. of john wayland and that was the I car that about white zombie actually i mean the white about that car. well the white zombie was single-handedly the reason why i built my electric dragster because i just i, I i'm so amazed and um respectful of what John Whalen was doing by turning up at drag strips and really pissing off Corvette and Viper owners with this this Datsun that was running high voltage. And I thought I need a piece of that. And I also thought I, I want I want to be part of this future of maybe EV hot rodding. If EV hot rodding becomes a thing, I want to be part of it. And that was the that and the combination of driving that pre-production Leaf in Japan was the start of this of me thinking this is a future that I want to 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 embrace and I don't see it as threatening interesting piston cars I see it as working with it a fit for purpose situation which car is fit for which purpose I, my Dodge is never going to be used as a daily driver because it would bankrupt me and I'd be a dick to drive that car every day so that is my reward car that is my 3000 miles a year or or whatever it is car and so I, I see driving an EV every day actually as, as 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 increasing my interest for classics, and it actually, the 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 money I save from from not spending on fuel doing the boring commutes, I spend on classic car parts. So yeah, yeah. you know, makes sense. I think so. I think it's it's not to be. I I, I just wish people wouldn't keep EVs at arm's length. I think they just need to it's need to try it themselves. Thing. It's a weird thing because um, actually the, I'd forgotten about White Zombie. So White Zombie um, was what inspired me to, and I've never built it, but I always wanted to. I wanted to build uh, a hill climb midget EV car. Oh because yeah, because it would make complete sense to me, particularly if it was one of the space framed all fiberglass jobbies. Oh yeah, um, and um, so even back then, but it, it was weirdly renegade back then to have an electric car, and now it's become kind of mainstream. Um, but totally. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I I can see why people are a bit worried because they're worried for a future where they don't have the option to buy a internal combustion engine car, which I can kind of see. But then the cars they like already have all been made, so there's not like if you like old cars, if you like classic cars, then there's no threat to the classic car market from electric vehicles unless they get legislated out of being allowed on the road um i i think but, i think they're going to i think they are going to rather be a hindrance i think they're going to be a um a help to the classic yeah. car world because they're gonna so. they're gonna allow the the peripheral um classic car enthusiast the person that wants the look but doesn't necessarily want the originality or uh, of a car or maybe that person lives in a place where um driving an old car is outlawed because of legislation mm. it allows them to own own a car they otherwise couldn't or wouldn't and yeah um and yeah, also it's, with, in, it's interesting yeah we're, we're, i think and that is just another part of 
that's another strand of the of the classic car kind of community i think because you've already got your resto mods you've already got your controversial stuff you've got your numbers matching things you've got your uh you know your 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 really extreme sort of on the outer limits performance stuff so why not have a bit of ev classic muscle in there as well yeah i think it's legit i find it interesting with um the ev west uh 911 so it's a roll welt 911 but it's um fully electric but mm. they've, they've built they built it in such a way that if they wanted to put it back to being an internal combustion engine they can they've not cut anything and no. i found that that's super interesting is that you can drop in an ev drivetrain kind of a little bit more um sympathetically that you can drop in um say a v8 or, or whatever into something that didn't come with a v8 you know like even dropping a, a four-cylinder modern engine into something that used to have a four-cylinder engine but not the modern size and packaging yeah you end up having to cut about bulkheads but you could drop an ev drivetrain in there without having to do that mm. and you can readily put it back to to stock if you so wished um so weirdly it's almost more sympathetic to do that to a classic car than um, some of the stuff we're known for doing yeah i think it can be i mean it's still on the expensive side um oh so, yeah crazy. so you've got to really want to do it and it depends what but what it does mean is you can probably use that classic car more than you ever would mm. um and that, and that's the, and i'm hopefully you know, i'm always going to try and champion those sorts of builds in fact i want to do one imminent you know, i'm going to try and do one imminently to a car of mine that's that makes it um just way more usable on a daily basis so it's not going to be quick quick it's not a, it's not a hellraiser like the drag car was but it, it it's it's more of a real world car and 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 the the engine in that car at the moment just annoys me it's not a part of the car that i particularly like anyway so if the engine pisses me off take it out and and ev it so um, I, I think I think there's probably a whole episode of this podcast on EV cars that um, I should probably do at some point. Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I'm happy to come back good. if you'll have me. That sounds good. Sounds good. Um, I'm going to. Um, well, we're nearly uh, we're approaching an hour in, so I've got a couple of things I definitely wanted to um, uh, throw at you to uh, to answer. Throw, just where get did, throwing. Where Where did Smith and Sniff come from? How did that come about? It's very entertaining, um, but it <laughs> like. Oh, on the surface of it, it doesn't look like it's going to be a winner, and then it absolutely is. It's just sort of two <laughs> vaguely middle-aged men eating sandwiches in a car. Well, Smith and Sniff, to those who haven't heard of it, is me, Johnny Smith, and um, my friend Richard Porter, who is a journalist and uh, was the script writer of Top Gear for years and is now the script editor of um, Grand Tour. And um, we have we we talked about doing something together for for ages and never bothered. And it's really this is just a pet project, like a little hobby project of just us driving it nowhere in particular. Most of the time in a new car, it starts off as being like a review of the car, and then we get sidetracked regularly by various things. Um, and we put out an episode every week, um, and. Uh, it's called Smith and Sniff, and the reason why it's called Smith and Sniff is because Rich Porter has a website called Sniff Petrol, which is quite a satirical um, car-based site, which has been going for years now. Uh, very funny, actually. Try it if you uh, if you haven't heard of it. Um, and yeah, we just decided to do this, and we committed about two years ago to doing an episode every week. It's quite hard. And for yes. at least, at least, let me think. Yeah, at least a year we didn't make any money. We lost money. And um, the last year we've broke even. So almost at the point where it's a business. But we're neither of us a businessman. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to sort of build it up a bit. We're going to do more more classic cars. And we're gonna, we've got a plan to hopefully have some guests here and there, some occasional guests. But really, it's just driving around, um, observing either stuff going on with other people's cars and other people's drives, talking about the car we're in, or um, eating lunch. Yes, uh, there's a lot of lunch eating, I noticed. There's there's maybe too much lunch eating. Uh, I, um, I think my favourite favorite thing I've uh, from all of the episodes I've watched um, was uh, the old money 
um, four by fours on people's <laughs> road. The, the, the old money Volvos and things like that are just really because because round here you see a lot of that. that like people that have just got usually nine, a nine sixty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the XC ninety was like, is like the next generation of those. I think I've noticed that there's an awful lot of people early XC nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Because they've been around for a while now, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. So they're about sort of fifteen years old or whatever it is, and they're just still just pottering around in this thing. So uh, I yeah, think the, I think what I like for... what I like about Smith and Sniff is because of course Rich Porter writes like Clarkson's lines. But you never, you know, Rich was never on Top Gear in Vision, and he's never been on Grand Tour in Vision. But obviously, he he has a, a huge wealth of in, of knowledge on cars, and a very sharp wit, and he likes a lot of crap cars. You know, he loves his he loves his retro cars. I mean, he's had n- numerous interesting, weird, old shitters. He um, he wrote a, an entire book about them and uh, upset a lot of people. <laughs> oh, he did, yeah. He, he upset me because he said the Beetle was the shittest car and on the cover of Crap Cars was a, a Volvo 262 Batoni, of which I own. So I was yes. like, you can't you can't do that. Um, so we don't agree on everything, but at the same time, I think he's got um, he's got a really good... He's got a really good eye for, for that sort of thing. He loves a bit of British Leyland uh, trivia. He's got his defender, which I constantly rib him about. Um, he's had a very clean Jag XJR a few years back, which he sold to oh, Richard nice. Hammond actually. And um, yeah, so he's he's. I think the the whole idea of Smith and Sniff is well, we're actually going to develop it a bit more. We're going to do um, we're going to start doing regular podcasts with it um, nice. because obviously to keep the frequency up um, in isolation, it's the only way we can do it. But we've been planning it anyway, and we've got a couple of other ideas up our sleeve. So if you've never heard of it or seen it, and you wonder what the bloody hell Johnny's talking about, just go on YouTube and type in Smith and Sniff. Um, uh, if you're if you're listening to this on YouTube, there'll probably be a link um, below this video for um, all of Johnny's. Oh yeah, do stuff. it. And yeah, um, go to my go to my go to my YouTube channel, please, because you know, yeah, it'd be yeah, nice got, if you, you turned got, up. What's the, what's the future for Johnny Smith? That's uh, that's my my question for for pretty much ending. Well, there's a question, David. What is the future for me? I I mean, I this year, 2020, I've decided to take Car Pervert, my own YouTube channel, seriously and really ramp that up, and that will have a combination of um, old cars and new cars, um, tech um, journeys and a bit of kind of tinkering slash barn finding nonsense. So really, it is the essence of my head, my car head. <laughs> it's car pervert. So you'll have an electric car review, and then you'll have a, a barn find Allegro. Then you'll have a, you know, um, <clears throat> a drive of something sensible. So there's that, and I'm going to be doing more of that. There's a couple of other YouTube channels which I'm hopefully going to be contributing to imminently. Um, obviously Smith and Sniff, we're going to keep doing that. Um, there's talk of some TV, there's talk of some more fifth gear and there's talk of some more, another TV show, which I can't talk about, but to be honest, the, the television has such a low, um, rate of things coming to fruition. It's probably better. I don't tell you cause I'll probably disappoint <laughs> you anyway, but I'm, I'm still, yeah, I'm still, I'm still, um, freelance, but luckily there's, there's a good variety of stuff. That I can um, that I can get involved with, be it with my EV head on and my future tech head on, or be it with my historical old school machinery head on. So Perfect. yeah. Oh, this has been lovely. I didn't even need to use any of my emergency questions in a uh, Richard Herring style. I feel like uh, I, I feel like I want to hear your emergency questions now. Uh, what what's the what's the fastest you've been in a car, and what was it? On the road or off the or on private property. On a racetrack, um, or, you know, on literally a, or, the, and, and, yeah, literally the top speed. So okay, so the, I think that the top speed is is similar on a road and on a track because the fastest I've ever driven a road car on a road was uh, Autobahn Germany Audi RS6 Plus, which was back then a twin turbo V8, and I had to take it back from Anglesey to. Uh, Audi HQ in Ingolstadt and um, it was de-restricted and I got 186 out of that 
That's terrifying. Which was was rather quick, and I really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, I think I I might have frightened a pair of Spanish gents in a Ferrari who did give me the thumbs up after a while and realised that this car with a dog guard was not fucking about. Um, <laughs> and then and then uh, so that was fun. That was a long time ago. Two thousand and two thousand and two thousand no two thousand and four. And then the fastest I've ever been on a track was in. Red Victor 3 with Andy Frost, obviously you'll probably know. And we did, did we do 7.302? Well, we we did the quarter mile in 7.3. I think we hit 193 miles an hour. So a very similar top speed to what I did on the road, but obviously I did it in seven seconds on a track and it was it was amazing. That's interesting. So one of my other questions is the car, scariest car you've ever been in. Now, for me, both those things would have been absolutely terrifying, probably as a passenger. <laughs> but you seemed like you enjoyed them. So uh... Well, I quite like uh, kind of um, I quite like t- trying to tame the lion. I quite like cars that are a bit vicious. Um, so uh, it's part of, of it for me. Uh, I, yeah, the, 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 the Red Victor 2 was amazing and quite terrifying. Red Victor 3 was terrifying because we had a tank slapper. And Andy nearly had to pull the the shoot out to straighten it up. That was that was interesting. Uh, that's terrifying. Um, brown trousers uh, moment. Brown trousers. Yeah, I mean, I, my Enfield wasn't that scary. Weirdly, it, it, I'd like to tell you it was, but I think we we did actually build it quite well. And it 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 on the road it was awful. Um, it was skitty in uh, in the wet. Bloody hell, because it was only nine feet long and a thousand horsepower. Um, but. Um, the well, I mean, I've crashed a Dodge Viper, which is um, a story which I, in fact, I've got to write about that story for for Modern Classics magazine imminently. Oh, there, there uh, we go. In a, in a, in a, a, a thing to look out for. I have a column that's about to start in Modern Classics. So oh, um, lovely. Yeah, I crashed a Dodge Viper when they were brand new SRT10. It had like about five hundred miles on the clock, and I destroyed it. And uh, it was it was not not a great moment for Johnny Smith. I'm going to put it put it like that. Well, it sounds like it's a great story. So we'll we'll look out for modern <laughs> classics and give some give some love to those guys. Um, thank you very much for your time, Johnny. Um, I think we'll probably have to do this again. To be honest, there's more questions, and we can delve into uh, EV a little bit. I feel, um, seeing as it's definitely a pet subject of um, Simon, who uh, is one of the admins of Retro Rides as well. I think maybe there's a round table there of some sort. But uh, yeah, I've yeah, thoroughly enjoyed this. This has been um, absolutely excellent. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, any questions? The door is always open, David. Oh, lovely, lovely. All right. Thank you very the much. Digital, we'll, digital door. And real door, di- maybe. And real door, yeah. <laughs> uh, when we're allowed out again. When we're allowed um, out thank- again, quite. <laughs> thank you very much for listening, everyone. Um, we'll be back with uh, another episode probably at some point in the vague retro ride schedule because that's how we work. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>